Welcome to TD Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hey everyone, Mark Bianchi here from the TD Cowan Energy team with another installment of our Energy Transition podcast series where today we've got the management team from New Scale Power. We've got CEO John Hopkins and CFO Ramsey Hamity. Currently, New Scale is the only publicly traded small modular reactor company and the only one to have NRC design certification. The stocks come under a lot of pressure recently following the mutual termination of their first project, the Carbon Free Power Project, or CFPP. And there's been a lot of media reporting saying that this demonstrates that the cost for new scale and the cost for SMRs in general are just too high. We wanted to give the company an opportunity to explain the events that transpired at CFPP, discuss their cost structure in a bit more detail, and get an update on how they see the outlook unfolding. So thanks for taking a listen and hope you enjoy our conversation with the management team of New Scale Power. John Ramsey, thanks so much for for joining us. Really appreciate you coming on. We all know um, there's a lot of news out there about um, the termination of CFPP. The media has uh, has sort of talked about it as um, proof that uh, small modular reactors are are too high cost, and the new scale design is too high cost. So I wanted to you know hear from you guys what, what your side of the story is. So let's just start with the. Um, announcement of of the CFPP termination. What drove the decision? Um, was it entirely costs, or were there other factors? I know there was a, su- a subscription level that you had to meet, but maybe not meeting that subscription level was driven by the cost increase. So, if you could just sort of talk about that to get us started. Uh, thank you, Mark. It's um, the Carbon Free Power Project. The owner developer was the Utah Association of Municipal Power Systems, uh, fifty municipalities in seven states. The project was about a year and a half ago. We had an alignment meeting with all parties, the owner and his project team, Floor Corporation, who is the engineering procurement constructor, and a new scale. And the customer stated that three conditions had to be met for the project to continue to move forward. And the conditions were, one, is that they had to achieve a certain level of subscription from their members. Uh, Each member could, could opt in or opt out. The subscription goal was somewhere in the neighborhood of 462 megawatts. They had to achieve 80% of that by the end of this year, 2023, for the project to continue to advance. And so they needed roughly, you know, 380 such megawatts for the project to go forward. The other, the other condition was that a target price had to be obtained of $89 per megawatt hour. Now, I'll, I'll get into how that 89 came about. And then third, continued government funding. We believe Fleur Corporation and New Scale had the project continued that $89 per megawatt hour is very achievable. Uh, Secondly, we saw continued commitment from the government. I spent numerous hours on the Hill, both sides of the aisle. Uh, Both the R's and the D's uh, wanted this project to be successful. The unfortunate part is a customer called and said, we just do not believe we're going to be able to achieve the subscription levels necessary for the project to proceed. And at that time, when we elected to mutually terminate, regardless of all the hard work that went into this on both sides, they were at about the 20% or 25% level of achieving that 80%. So if that was a condition, we decided you know, that 
we need probably need to mutually decide this project's not going to go forward. And a, a big piece of that, of the the reason that their members could either opt in or opt out, they and I think ultimately the concern was they just didn't want to assume risk of a first-of-a-kind nuclear technology is what prompted them not going forward in, in the manner of the subscription they needed. And so, unfortunately, we mutually decided it was in probably the best interest and in, in lieu of continuing to spend good money uh, to terminate the project, and that's what we did. And the customer has been very straightforward in saying it was not cost. It was not a technology issue. It was one of the three conditions that could not be met was the subscription level that was necessary to move the project forward. And, and I think it's, it's notable for people that have followed for a long time. This wasn't a surprise. I mean, you guys were on your, your analyst day and, and sort of sounded like it wasn't, was having, encountering some challenges. And then even if we go back to the 10Q um, earlier in the year, there was a statement in there about how it, it was potentially at risk and there was cash reserve for it. So are, are, there, are there other things that um, occurred over the past 12 to 18 months that, you know, besides the change in requirements um, for the 80% subscription level that, that would have sort of hinted that um, things were less likely to, to move forward? No, I, I think the cover, customer made every effort as, as we did. We had numerous sessions with our members to try to get them to understand why they needed to stay into the project. If you recall at the time, too, we had a, they, they were looking at competitive energy processes. And so about two, three years ago, when we were in a class four, class three estimate, uh, Floor announced that we we're looking at a target price of about $58 per megawatt hour. Then when inflation and interest rates hit, and, and by the way, that 58 was also predicated on if they looked at combined cycle at that period of time where they were located. It was low 60s to mid 40s. So they said, okay, let's set a target for 58. Then when the interest rates and, and inflation occurred, it went from 58 to 89. And again, they looked at a comparative technology combined cycle. And, and at that time, it was in the low 90s to mid 90s. So they set a threshold of 89. And so as we worked forward through the project, uh, Floor Corporation uh, felt very comfortable, as well as we, that we could get within that $89 threshold. So again, coming back to, th this was not a cost issue. People are focused on costs, so I want to ask some cost questions. So how much did the plant cost go up from initial estimates? So you just talked about it in um, sort of levelized cost terms, 58 going to 89. Um, but what was the, the sort of price tag for the construction initially? Um, maybe there was an, an earlier estimate before the $58 and just sort of walk us through how that evolved and if there was anything unique to this site that might not be uh, something we'd see at other sites. Well, the, the site was a challenging site. It was located in um, at Idaho National Lab. It was, uh, you know, to get our modules there was going to be extremely difficult. We did a transportation analysis. Also, uh, you know, we did see commodities increase over that period of time. So, but there was a number that was thrown out there, and I'm not sure where it came from, that the, the plant estimate looked like it could be in the $9 billion range. And quite frankly, I don't know where that number came from, because if you think of costs, there's three bundles of costs. There's the new scale cost that where we deliver our technology to the site. There's the owner's costs, and then there's the contractor EPC costs. If you look at our costs as a supplier of technology, 
Our suppliers, as you know, are most of them are actually investors in New Scale. So they take a holistic view of not looking at a one-off site. They're looking at multiple sites that they're hopefully going to be working because that's our model, to have more than one plant going on at any given time. So they gave us very competitive pricing. So we, we felt comfortable from our price that, uh, in fact, when when the estimate from went from a level three to a level two, our costs overall did not increase as a, as a technology provider. So um, the costs went up, but as I stated before, when the, when the, and the escalation occurred, we're still at that threshold of $89 per megawatt hour. That was still cheaper than the alternative on a combined cycle plan at that location, which at that time was to low to mid 90s. So, and then as I stated, I think which is really important, we felt comfortable as New Scale and Floor that that 89 target could have been met. John, do you have a sense of what natural gas price would have corresponded to those combined cycle levels that you just mentioned, just so we can get a sense if, you know, natural gas is two bucks, you know, that's obviously a low level that might be unsustainable, but if it's $14, that's also a high level that's unsustainable. Yeah, I, I'm not sure in that, you know, again, we're talking in the West where they have limited infrastructure and and what they what they did predicate, they, they looked at the cost of gas at the time and they did feel, Mark, that that 89 number was sustainable and supportable for this project to be competitive against gas. Okay. Well, you mentioned this earlier that your, your cost, your sort of scope of the project, if you will, or your technology contribution to the project, those costs didn't go up. Can you talk about what proportion of this plant or what proportion of a typical plant your scope would, would comprise? And I guess scope might not be the right term because you have the entire plant design, which you're providing, but you're not doing the construction, but then you also have your technology, which is the, the NPM. So maybe give us also just explain where the dividing lines are there. Yeah, as I mentioned before, there's three buckets of costs. There's the owner's cost, the contractor's cost, and the technology provider cost. Our cost typically, and, and as you know, our, our model is that we build these modules in a factory, they're fungible assets, and we can ship them. Of the total, total install cost of that plant, that's normally for us about 25 to 30% of the total. The, the remainder, obviously, is the owner's costs and the EPC costs. The, the owner's costs and the EPC costs, like what are what are some things that would fall into that bucket um, versus the things that fall into your, your technology bucket? Do you stop at the at the reactor building and then everything outside of that is is sort of on on the owner? Or how, how do we? Yeah, for, for us, all the, the nuclear supplies uh, systems is under us. The, it, so it's the... The stuff that goes into the reactor building in the reactor building, that's under the scope of New Scale. All the balance of plant, and which is really so, if you're building the modules in a plant, all the risk net essentially is in the risk in the in the factory being built. In the field, you're dealing with heavy civil work, so you got you know the the concrete rebar, uh, a lot of what goes into the, generally the balance of the plant and the construction of the the reactor building, et cetera, and the turbine building. Well, maybe let's let's talk a little bit more about the reactor building because one of the things that I've um, encountered as we've I've, I've tried to do more reading and learn more about what's gone on here um, is some criticism that the the Voyager design has this large reactor building to to contain all of the um, all of the new scale power modules and that's inside a, a large reactor pool and just the 
the civil works involved in putting that whole thing together is is, is quite significant and um, could be a, a challenge for design if you have high civil works, you know, for in perpetuity, which presumably we will. Yeah. And as I stated before, we're building our modules in a factory. So the civil works and, and this can, at CFPP, Carbon Free Power Project, it was going to be a six module configuration. So the reactor building was designed for six modules. The beauty of it is we're building in the in the factory concurrently. They're doing the civil in the field. So once they are complete, we bring the modules in one at a time. So the reactor building size and proportion of the total cost was very really minimal. It was not that. And again, at the end of the day, Mark, if we're not cost competitive, then the, the owner's not going to buy. And in this particular instance, we were cost competitive for other reasons they elected not to move forward. And, and that was unique to CFPP. We're not going to go through that again. So we, often when people talk to me about levelized cost of electricity, it's very difficult to have that conversation. So much of it's predicated on where are you building? What's the labor productivity? Where's the labor coming from? So we, we've kind of got off that. It, it, fundamentally, it's up to the customer to make the determination that we are competitive against the alternatives. Here in this country right now, typically we compete against natural gas. In Europe, it's not a natural gas. We compete against state-owned enterprises. So there's that difference also. We're building a plant in Romania. The costs there are going to be significantly different where the plant location is, what the productivity is, and the labor availability is going to be different than it will be at CFPP. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Is there any? Can you share any um, maybe high-level differences that that might exist if you could, you know, if you build the plant in the the highest cost location versus the lowest cost location? How much different is um, is that? If we just keep it generic, maybe you know you can avoid discussing any sort of sensitive information. Yeah, I, I think you know I can't speak for Floor, who's also doing the plant in Romania, but in in, in discussions with them, the the EPC one productivity. And labor is going to be cheaper than it would have been at CFPP, which was, again, constrained in terms of you're in Idaho National Lab and it, it's in terms of availability of labor. The other, our ability to ship these modules at CFPP would have been, you know, we did the transportation analysis and it was going to be a real challenge getting those modules up to that location where, let's say, another location in the southeast, if you can barge them in, it significantly lowers the cost. Or if you don't have to, you know, go across the forest, the, a stake river, as an example, 20 times. Those all have a major impact in overall costs. And then also the, the other com component of this was owner's costs. Was, you know, they had over a billion dollars, as I understand, in contingency. We don't foresee that in our next project. So what, what does that involve, the, the billion dollars of contingency? That's just what the, from a liability perspective, what the owner felt that they had to have in that project for a, a, a liability contingency plan, and should it have been so? If 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 it go, there's a cost overrun or something like that, it's that's sort of what that's the placeholder yes. for. Yes. Okay. Okay. I think it's interesting to talk about. To we we've talked before. You mentioned the fifty eight dollars going to eighty nine, and that I think, if I remember correctly, was sort of the lowest and the highest price comparison for, for all the things involved, right? So interest rates were really low when you did 58, and then they were really high when you did 89, and then I think a bunch of other materials were. Can you kind of talk about um, that comparison and then 
where some of those items have gone since the $89 was put together. I think you know, maybe we've seen some decline in some raw materials, but maybe interest rates are, are up from where they were. Yeah. And again, as I said before, that, that 58 number was predicated on what was the alternative other than SMR, new scale SMR. It, it was gas. It was combined cycle. So at that period of time when they targeted 58, you know, the combined cycle plant was somewhere in the low to mid 60s. Then when that escalation in interest rates, that combined cycle plant went into the low 90s. So they, they targeted a number at $89. And Floor accepted as well as us that we will use that as a target and the basis of the cost to ensure we make com competitive against the alternative, which was gas. And so that's how those numbers were determined. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that much of an increase. That was just the cost to beat. Yeah, and again, don't get me wrong. There, there were escalations in commodities and et cetera, having you know the interest rates. We also during COVID, you know, had supply chain. A lot of that's been relaxed. A lot of those commodities that were necessary for that site, we made that determination. So, and if you looked at at that time, we were at a class three estimate, and we went to the class two estimate. You saw reductions, and that's where you know floor felt very comfortable that they could meet that eighty nine dollars because they saw relief. And some of the pressure points that they had during the COVID period in supply chain risk. One of the questions that we've gotten from investors, and this isn't just a new scale question, but it's a question for all large projects and large infrastructure projects these days, right? Is a higher interest rate environment makes it just makes it more challenging to get the economics to work for any large ticket item. How are you seeing that with you know your customer conversations? Um, and is there a sweet spot for where interest rates are, right? So if the 10-year treasury right now is something like four and a quarter percent, is that is that a level where things can move forward or is the sweet spot, you know, something with a three handle on it, or if we get up to 5% again, you know, it's really challenging. Just maybe talk through through that dynamic. Yeah, let, let, me, let me start and I'll, I'll turn it over to Ramsey. As I commented before, I think there's some misperceptions of what is new scale. We are not a developer. We don't we don't achieve uh, you know power sales. We are a technology provider to the plant, and that's what we want to be. And so our our piece of cost, our supply chain is very critical to have strategic suppliers who, as I said before, are not looking at a one-off deal. They're looking at a more of a holistic. How do we make our money on multiple modules? You want to touch on the treasury, Ramsey? Sure, sure. I, Mark, I, I think it's a great question. Higher interest rates increase overall project costs as they apply to financing, and rates broadly increase expenses throughout the supply chain. The impact is felt during construction, as well as costs of a permanent capital. However, the reality is those affect everyone and all energy and industrial projects. Because of that, we don't view the interest rate environment as meaningfully affecting our opportunity set. Acknowledging that, we benefit from several mitigating factors relative to our competitors. NewSkill's factory-fabricated module construction reduces risks of delays that have plagued energy and infrastructure projects with substantial and field construction. By shortening the period to commencement of operations, NewSkill projects take away completion tail risks and are positioned to pay on costs more quickly. Also, NewScale's SMRs are cost-competitive with other forms of consistent baseload energy, and nuclear is the only form of baseload power that's zero carbon. Finally, I'll add that just the other week at COP, more than 20 countries stated their commitment to triple 
nuclear energy capacity globally by 2050. So we feel strongly that we tend to be well positioned. You know, we talked about the CFPP and the the levelized cost being cost to beat. But what if you pick a generic site? Um, what should you be able to deliver from a co- on a cost basis? Maybe you know on a first of a kind, we know that's going to be higher. So maybe just talk us through um, you know what what sort of cost you should be able to deliver to and. What's the aspiration? Like, where will it go after a bunch of repetitions? Mark, first, we can only speak to our SMR technology, which, again, is only one component of a plant. Our view is that new scale portion of total plants is roughly $2 billion for a 12-module plant, and that represents about one-third of total plant costs. Importantly, let me note several things. First, the IRA provides significant benefits in the form of the investment tax credits that now apply to nuclear plants. We estimate that the IRA can offer up to 50% of costs reimbursable by the government. Additionally, we've designed our SMRs with the modular design. We use well-established, approved, and readily available materials that can be factory fabricated and transported to the site, which keeps costs down. And finally, Mark, we've spent years meeting rigorous quality assurance, professional certification requirements, and completing comprehensive NH action trials to get to this point. Now, when we place an order, our suppliers are ready to proceed with what's needed. And as a result, Mark, I'll point out, in many ways, we're not the traditional first of a kind. We anticipate substantial potential to optimize our processes and design by swiftly applying learnings to benefit these cooperations, engineering, project management, quality assurance. The resulting standardization, we believe, will rapidly produce an end-of-a-kind module something that's cost-effective and delivers a predictable process for our customers. And just as important, we can avoid producing a series of one-of-a-kind deliverables and the costs associated with that. So let me also highlight our build-to-print philosophy, which means that any qualified and capable nuclear supplier can produce our equipment, allowing us to expand capacity to meet our book of business and to receive multiple quotes to produce equipment and obtain competitive pricing for our customers is a distinct advantage to new scale. More costs will come down over time as we learn from early production and also by implementing advanced manufacturing techniques that the industry is currently perfecting. I'd say for these reasons, we're confident, highly confident, that new scale will become the the leader in low cost, clean, carbon-free, baseload power production. That's great Um, on on the plant costs. Appreciate that. So I guess this is a bit of a, more high level question, but obviously, you know, you guys are an SMR uh, company, so it applies to you. But, you know, one of the the reactions to CFPP has been, oh, well, here it is. SMRs are too high cost. It just makes more sense to build larger plants because you can spread the costs over more megawatts. How do you guys react to that? Yeah, Mark, I'd often hear before that, you know, everything is about economies of scale. Therefore, a large gigawatt size would be uh, and in terms of, of overall costs, less than SMRs. But I think people need to understand the economies of scale. About two-thirds of the components of a gigawatt size we don't need in the new scale SMR, and we proved that to the NRC. And going back to you know, the CFPP, a lot of positives resulted from that engagement with, with that, that particular project. New Scale was able to get through the NRC licensing process, which is a very daunting challenge. 
As you know, we submitted our design certification for 50 megawatts for a 12 module plant. We're currently going through a power up rate to 77 mega megawatts. The rationale behind that, we found that as we modeled our facility through the NRC and we 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 scaled up our components, we realized that we we're conservative and that particular same module could produce upwards to 77 to 80 megawatts with very, very minimal engineering. And that process is going very well with the NRC. We, we met with them yesterday and it's, it's on schedule and hopefully it'll be ahead of schedule. We'll get that 77 megawatt approved by, you know, first quarter of 2025. The other things that occurred having gone through the NRC is that, as you know, we're building in a factory. So you don't have, as you build in the factory, you don't have the complications of trying to build these modules at the site. So as I mentioned before, you know, as we build modules, the civil works will be in, in where we built at the site. And we don't bring our modules in until after the fabrication is complete. So you bring them in one at a time. And the beauty of what I like is, you know, the scalability of these things are such that once you get one module in, you can get it up and running. You can bring the second module and you can get up. So you can start generating cash flow at that time. So from a competitive perspective, really at the end of the day, does the customer feel we're competitive? That, that's going to be the bottom line. You know, if, if we have to bid out, uh, I'm not worried about bidding these modules out. And, and uh, like I said, the competitive landscape's a little different in the U.S. than it is in overseas. You know, I'm, here I'm competing against gas and there I'm competing against state-owned enterprises like Russia and China. So I think, I, I strongly believe we're going to be very competitive in this marketplace. So we wouldn't be here. And some of the other first marks, you know, going through, again, with that CFPP project, we had approved to the NRC that it, it's from a first of a kind, having our emergency planning zone methodology approved, uh, that's huge. So we can literally be at site boundary, at, and maybe not at all sites, but many of the sites in the NRC approved that. Uh, the other, you know, not having to be connected to the grid for safety reasons. And so you're hearing more about not only utilities, but also so-called industrials now getting engaged because they understand they want to get into the carbon-free environment. How do they do that? They, they want to have process heat. They want to have energy for hydrogen or energy for ammonia production. And if you're on the fence line, um, it's, a, it's a lot better than having, and most industrials don't want to be within the emergency planning zone because of concerns of something should it happen and the reactor were to trip, it would impact them and on business interruption. But if your man, emergency planning zone is at the site, that's not an issue. That all, you know, we, having gone through the CFPP, that was a real plus for us. The other thing, Mark, that's very important, when we talk about the simplicity of our design, you know, we spent $1.8 billion de-risking that module. So when you think about it, there's no exotic metallurgy. It's conventional fuel. When we say first of the kind, we just haven't built it and put it in the ground yet. But majority of all our components have been scaled up. Our helical coil steam generators were tested and totally scaled in Via Vicenza, Italy at Seat Labs. So there's no, we just need to get it built and put it in the ground. And to your point, you've got to be cost competitive and you've got to be on schedule. So there were a number of things that um, CFPP helped with, right? So you mentioned the emergency planning zone and, and other steps that you went through with the NRC, that that'll be good things that you can apply to, to future projects. What, what were some of the lessons learned that, you know, maybe 
you would have done differently, not that it might have changed the outcome, but just that help you decide, you know, how to pursue these projects going forward that might might be different from what you, you did earlier on? I, I think we got too engaged and, and somewhat of a helping in a development of CFPP. We'll never do that again. Um, we'll never get involved in a project where you have a subscription model that requires the project go forward, commensurate with people coming in or out of the project. We would not do that again. So it was a very unique project that a lot of positives come out of. But the other thing is um, building at a location that's commensurate, looking at the labor, looking at the viability of getting the the modules to the factory all have to be looked at. And in many of these locations we're looking at, Mark, in the United States, you know, whole refurbishment power plants or remote locations, a lot of them are on the river. You can use a lot of them. You can use some of the existing infrastructure, the water intake, the T&D, et cetera. That's all, we'll be looking at all of that going forward. So I would say CFPP and what we did of all the pluses that came out of that, it, it was still a unique project and things we wouldn't do again. All right. So CFPP um, had some had some lessons learned that, that, that you mentioned there. Um, so, so talk about you know what the other projects are in in your outlook here. We've got something that you announced with Standard Power, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Standard Power Natural One, sort of a four x the size of what CFPP was. Um, you've got Romania. Maybe just talk about the opportunity set. You know what what's currently in the pipeline, what could come into the pipeline, and and you know how you're thinking about planning around those. Sure, Mark. I'm I'm so glad you asked that question. We are extraordinarily excited about Standard Power. Let me talk about the client for a moment, but I think what's more important is to expand into the broad suite of opportunities which we see ahead of us and which we believe we, NukeScale, as an SMR developer, are uniquely positioned to address. Standard Power is a data center and AI operator. They have sites in Ohio and Pennsylvania. They're currently operating. They have a long-standing history. They're profitable, and they have plans to develop large-scale data centers in both those sites. Mark, you, you may know that the home of data centers really in America is Northern Virginia, Loudoun County. That's where many data centers have established, both for the good, reliable power, as well as for connectivity up and down the East Coast. Loudoun County now, with the prevalence of data centers, is really suffering from issues around reliability, about grid resiliency, around power. And they are scaling up to achieve that. New data center operators today are focused on the Ohio to Pennsylvania corridor, not only because of good power, good transmission lines, but also good data, and importantly, the sub-10 millisecond relay back and forth to the East Coast, where most of these data centers find their clients. The data center thesis for us is incredible. And this goes back to the idea that, A, we can, we can relocate at coal sites, and you have a lot of coal that's coming offline in that Ohio to Pennsylvania corridor. In fact, that's one of the areas where standard power is focusing. By going into former coal sites, setting up nuclear, providing power, we can provide communities with jobs, provide communities with clean, baseload, reliable energy, and we can power the data center industry. Mark, data centers are something that we understood was coming 10, 15 years ago. But I don't think anyone could have predicted 
the actual amount of power that data centers use and the prevalence of data centers in AI today. And that number is only growing. We feel very strongly that new scale SMRs, as evidenced by our being selected by Standard Power to be the technology of choice to power their data centers, we feel very strongly that new scale SMRs are the best positioned clean baseload power supply to address the data center market. And that is going to be an extraordinary, extraordinary market for us. And I don't see anyone else who is as well positioned as us to be able to capture that. And, and you're going about it in a different way, obviously, with Entra One as being the, the project developer, right? And, and owning, the, owning the asset. I mean, that just on paper seems like it's many times more efficient than, than what was going on um, with CFPP. But maybe just talk about kind of the competence in, um, in, in this approach. Sure. I, I don't want to contrast too much to CFPP. That project for us, again, I think of as a success. It was a unique project, allowed us to raise a lot of capital and reach technical milestones, which would have been challenging to achieve absent of a project like CFPP. But you're right, CFPP lacked a real focused developer. And that is something that's required to bring these projects online. What EnterOne has enabled New Skill to do is to have a consistent, reliable, knowledgeable developer with the experience to bring energy projects to market and the relationships and market confidence to buy and raise financing. And bridging that gap, yes, it's important within the context of data centers, but really it creates an applicability of our technology to a wide array of markets and customers that don't necessarily want to own the asset. This is the perfect combination for us. And what we've seen is with the partnership of Venture One and the ability for us to offer this unique and very powerful technology, a developer who's able to take that technology and sell what customers want, they want power. This has been an extraordinary benefit for us as evidenced by us building a 30 plus gigawatt pipeline. There's no other SMR developer in the world that can say that. We have the pipeline, we're in production, we have a developer, we have data centers that want to work with us, we have steel producers like Newport that want to work with us, we have utilities that want to work with us. I could imagine being in a better position right now, and I think soon we will see the benefits of that partnership come to light. That's great to hear. Um, John, any other comments on maybe walk us around the world where you know, you've know you had, you've got Romania moving along? Um, are, are there other prospects that have maybe changed in the past you know, three to six months that are worth chatting about? Yeah, Mark, if you've been following what's happened at COP28, um, unfortunately, I didn't get to go. I had COVID at the time, but I had, I had people represented there. And every I did go to COP26. I spoke at COP27. You see the groundswell continue to build for the need for advanced nuclear around the world. And it's either because of energy security requirements, it's because of uh, uh, climate disruption, or the fact that, uh, as mentioned, more energies need for hydrogen production or ammonia production, et cetera, and advanced nuclear is a good place to get it. So the the 30 gigawatt pipeline that we talked about, and a lot of these customers we're talking to to Ramsey's point, 
where the developer comes in is so critically important for us. The Many of the data centers or many of the industrials, they don't necessarily want to own a nuclear asset. They just want the energy. Now, they're willing to be, uh, you know, off takers and provide uh, long-term power purchase agreements. And even in some instances in our discussions become involved, put co- or, um, capital into the development of the project. But so that inter one, you know, and again, proof's in a pudding here, but we're very close to coming to terms in, in what we're seeing from customers that if we can offer that a build own operate or a build own transfer that is going to open the aperture tremendously, it, and it, on a global perspective. So that's where a lot of this 30 gigawatt pipeline comes from. And like I said before, what they liked about us when they did due diligence on New Scale is all the things I referred to before. We have been through the NRC, um, the EPZ zone at site boundary, not having to be all the safety in what has been tested with that $1.8 billion I commented about. Has been has significantly been used to de-risk the modules in the early front end through all the testing, which I don't think anybody else has done anything close to what we've done to date. So, you know, one thing we are is we're much more focused on vetting our customers. What's the regulatory framework? Where is the funding coming from? Because I found you could easily become a mile wide and inch deep if you're not careful. So what we're doing now, we're classifying customers, commensurate on, do they have a certain requirements to carry this thing forward? And usually it's regulatory framework and where's the money coming from? Is the funding there? Because a lot of times we find funding always is always gets back to money. Okay, guys, I think that's probably a, a good place to leave it. John, Ramsey, thanks so much for taking the time to come on here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of TD Cowan Insights.